Hello, I come back. Me, I am Connie Maswangani, and I greet you all in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Welcome to our People's Church at Home service. It is a delight to once again host my church family through our weekly Sunday fellowship. I have missed it. I have missed seeing your faces from up here, and I know your hearts miss being here, and we all miss each other so much. Usually when people have not seen each other in a long while, their small talk will have comments on the physical changes that they see on each other, like weight changes and drastic hair changes and that kind of shallow thing. And depending on how well you know each other, the difference is noticeable in even smaller things, like the changes in one's energy or the mood in their eyes. In this time during the pandemic, I'm quite sure we have all been affected in one way or another, for the worst and for the better alike. How do I know? How can I tell? It's just one of those guarantees about life. Somehow, life happens to all of us, and the effect creates a change in us. I love that God knows the guarantees that life holds for us. I love even more that he has already made the provision for the mountains and the valleys we will surely all go through. His word tells us in Isaiah chapter 43 verse 2 that when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. In the past year, my family and I have experienced the death of our loved ones. We lost the patriarch in the Maswangani family, my husband's father, and we also lost the life of our unborn baby. May their souls rest in heavenly peace. I would like to thank you all very much for holding us up in your prayers, your calls, your visits, and your encouraging messages. They have given us strength in this time. It is one of the things that showed me that God is going through this with us. And if you didn't know of our sad news, could you tell just by taking one look at me? Every time I look back and reflect on anything I've been through, I can't help but say, at the end of it all, thank God I don't look like what I've been through. The book of Daniel testifies at best in chapter 3, when we look at the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were tied up and thrown into the furnace, fully dressed. Shortly thereafter, King Nebuchadnezzar is amazed to see four men unbound walking around in the blazing fire, unharmed. He shouts to tell them to come out. And in verse 7, we read as follows. All the important people, the government, leaders, and king's counselors gathered around to examine them and discovered that the fire hadn't as much as touched the three men. Not a single hair singed, not a scorch mark on their clothes, not even the smell of fire on them. And so this morning, I thank God that we can hold on to his promise that whatever we go through, we can trust him to take us through it and that just like the three men, he will be right in the middle of it with us. Secondly, we know that we will not even look nor smell like what we've been through. 
After all, he's the one who makes it work out for good according to Romans 20, Romans 8.28. We will now move on to receive the offering message by Pastor Mondli and thereafter be blessed with a faith-building sermon by Mr. John Mokodi. Good morning and welcome. It's such an, an honor and a privilege to be with you again today. And today I'm going to be bringing just a short uh, word of encouragement uh, concerning giving. And I'm excited today because in just a moment, Mr. Mohudi is going to bring us a life-giving message uh, around finances. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. And I will try not to interfere too much with his message with my short encouragement. But do you know that there is one person that the scriptures tell us that God absolutely loves? How does that even make you feel? And I can even think that there's probably a person who's quick to remind me that God has no favorites. And I agree with that. But today, I will show you the person that the scriptures assure us that God loves. But before I get to that, though, I want to start here. If you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, this is what we find. It says, For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That is such an encouraging, that's such a great scripture about our God. And it tells me that God does not force you and I to do things we do not want to do. That he gives us the freedom to choose to do that which is right and pleasing to him. Even when it comes to giving, I believe that God does not want to force you and I to do something or anything that we are not ready or not prepared to do. He wants us to give out of the freedom that he has given us. Now back to the person that God, that God loves. If you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, this is what we find. It says, You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. How does that make you feel? You know, there it is right there. That's the person that God loves. God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And as you are about to give today, or whenever you want to give in the future, I want you to remember this, that God doesn't want you to give reluctantly. And God certainly does not want you to give in response to pressure. He doesn't want us to be pressured to giving, but he wants us to give what we have already decided in our hearts to give. He wants us to give with a heart that is cheerful. He wants us to give joyfully uh, with that freedom that he has given us. And what's more important to God is your attitude as you give more than your gift. Because we know that everything belongs to God. There's nothing that he lacks that he needs from us. So what is more important to him is our attitude, is our heart, as we give more than the amount or the gift that we give. And I do hope that that has given you some freedom and some clarity even as you are about to give. Let us give joyfully and cheerfully. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, that you are a loving Heavenly Father, that you do not manipulate us, that you do not abuse us, Father God, and you do not abuse your power, that you have given us freedom, Lord God, and you want us uh, to, to give cheerfully, you want us to give freely, you want us to give that which you have already decided between us and the Holy Spirit to give. You do not want us to give in response to pressure, and you don't want us to give reluctantly. I pray, Father God, that you may help us to give cheerfully, that you may help us to give with freedom and liberty so that your name may be glorified and that you, Father God, may be pleased. In Jesus Christ's mighty name, we pray. Amen.
Good day, church family. It is again an honor for me to be asked to share the word of God with you. As a church family, we are focused on our theme for the year, which is Build to Last. This is an interesting theme for me, because when I hear it, I always think about an example someone once shared with me about quality work versus cutting corners. This was in a business context. So a baker knows the recipe and the ingredients needed to bake a chocolate cake. The recipe is written down and it is clear. Maybe the recipe includes three cups of flour, two cups of sugar, four eggs, etc. That is in the recipe. So if the baker uses four cups of flour instead of three and one cup of sugar instead of two, the cake might still be a cake, but technically it won't be the correct chocolate cake he wanted to bake. It will not taste as intended, and it might flop and not bake as intended. So, for the baker to bake the right cake, he or she must use the correct ingredients and follow the recipe to the T. This example can apply to any sphere of life, be it work, school, at church, and so on. Basically, the ingredients that are required to do something as intended. You mess up the ingredients and the recipe, then the intended outcome will not be achieved. With that said, if the church of Jesus Christ is built to last, what ingredients did those who came before us use? And to today's point, if us as members of the church are built to last, what is the recipe and the ingredients that God intends us to use? In 1 John 4, verses 6, I beg your pardon. In 1 John 4, verses 7 to 8, we read, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Verse 9 carries on and says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. As a sign of God's love for us, he gave. He gave us his one and only son. By God giving his one and only son, it shows us that God is generous with us. Maybe generous is a huge understatement in this context. I think God was extravagant in his generosity towards us. God demonstrated how much he loved us by his generosity towards us. Generosity is love in action. Clearly, love is not something you just say. It is a verb. It is something you do. Jesus teaches us how our love and generosity to one another can be put into action during his Sermon on the Mount. Let's look at Luke chapter 6, starting from verse 27. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, 
Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. Do good to those who hate me and bless and pray for them. How can I possibly do that? Well, let's go back to 1 John 4, verse 10. The message version reads, This is the kind of love we are talking about. Not that we once upon a time loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage they have done to our relationship with God. So God modeled to us how to do good to those who hate us because he loved us whilst we were still sinners. We did not love him, but he loved us anyway. Verses 11 to 13, Apostle Paul carries on and says to us, Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. This is so profound to me. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, how much is that much? Well, he sent his only son for us. Surely, we ought to love each other. But if we love each other, then God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. God lives in me and he lives in you. His love is brought to full expression. Or you can say, his love is perfected in us. You and I get the opportunity to have God's love perfected in us if we dare just trust and obey him. I hope you're starting to see the glimpses of God's ingredients and recipe to build us to last. Let us carry on listening to what Jesus taught us with his Sermon on the Mount. We pick it up from Luke 6, verse 30. Give anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Here Jesus is telling us to give when asked. After all, we expect him to give us whatever we ask for too. And should someone borrow something that for whatever reason they can't return it back to us or pay us back, Jesus is saying, don't demand what is rightfully yours. Leave it. You see, you can really only do this when it is affirmed in your heart that Jesus will take care of you. You don't need that material thing that was taken away from you. You might be thinking, but whoa, Jesus, are you saying if someone steals from me and they can't pay me back, I should not sue them and get my stuff back? Isn't that only going to enable the thief to steal from other people as well and commit the same crime again and again? Well, Figuring out this particular part of God's recipe is way above my pay grade. But what I can tell you about Jesus is this. He knew for over two years that one of his disciples and friends was stealing from the collection kitty. 
Not only did he know that Judas was stealing, he let Judas be in charge of the money. Some scholars agree that Jesus was just not doing this to be irresponsible. He was doing this so as to offer Judas enough opportunity to repent and stop stealing. Over two years worth of opportunities and second chances. God's wisdom from the Holy Spirit will guide you from situation to situation. But clearly, sacrificial love is right at the center of the mix here. Let's carry on. Verse 31. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get the credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great. And you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. Remember we said, generosity is love in action. Jesus is teaching us to give of ourselves to those who don't deserve it. Remember, that is what he did for us. Us being kind to those who are unkind, unthankful and wicked does not bring glory to us. It perfects God's love in us and brings glory to his name. Now let's jump to verse 38. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. That amount you give will determine the amount you get back. In my early years in the church, I didn't like this verse because it made me feel like I'm giving because it will be given back to me. This made me a little uncomfortable. But it is a promise that Jesus said. It can't be ignored. It is true. Whatever you give, Jesus says, you will receive it back exponentially. Of course, you give out of the love in you, not because of the promise that Jesus gives us. It is also good to note that this applies both negative and positively. If you give people pain and grief, it will also return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap too. The more pain you give will determine the amount of pain you will get back. I would rather be generous by giving love than generous in giving grief and pain. So let's do a quick recap of what we have learned from this extract from Jesus' teaching. Love your enemies and do good. Bless and pray for those who hate you. Why? Jesus says, because I did that for you. 
When things are taken from you, don't retaliate and fight for your rights. Why? Because your heavenly Father will always provide what you need. When we are generous with others, we will receive a great reward in heaven. And lastly, we learn that whatever we give generously, be it negative or positive, we will receive it back exponentially. You see, being a Christ follower is not for CCs or weaklings. But with the Holy Spirit in us and with us all the time, we will be guided and helped to be generous with our enemies. Our generosity cake won't flop. Now, I would like us to look at some of God's laws from the Old Testament that absolutely blew my mind. These just give you an amazing perspective into God's heart when it comes to generosity and caring for others. Go with me to Leviticus 19 verses 9 to 10. It reads, When you harvest the crops of your land, don't harvest the grain along the edges of the field and don't pick up what the harvesters dropped. It is the same with your grape crop. Don't strip every last bunch of grapes from the vines. Don't pick up the grapes that fall on the ground. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. This was law. God literally commanded farmers to have a generous heart. God commanded farmers to have a heart like his. This made a way for the poor to provide for their own needs with dignity. Incidentally, this was what Ruth was doing when she met Boaz. Anyway, God wants us to live in such a way. Live a way that his heart can be seen in you and me. One of the big ingredients in the generosity cake is for me to know and be at peace with the fact that my harvest is not all for me. That which God has given me the ability to earn and to acquire is not only intended for me. By God giving me the ability to take care of my family financially, his heart was also squarely focused on those less fortunate than me. He is trusting me to partner with him regarding the harvest he has blessed me with. My harvest is not for my benefit alone. Let us not miss that. My harvest, that which I work for, is not for my benefit alone. This part of God's recipe is illustrated so beautifully in Deuteronomy 15 verse 7, which reads, If among you one of your brothers should become poor, in any of the towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother. The first thing I want us to notice here is that the land was first given by God to us. Nowadays we can say your land, your job, your business, your career, Whatever it is that allows you to provide for your family, that thing was first given to you by God. God provides the means first. 
We are commanded not to pretend like we don't see our struggling brother. We are commanded not to harden our hearts and keep a tight grip on our wallets. This is how God uses generosity to help cure our own materialistic nature. Build to last. Lastly, I would like us to study Paul's instruction to a young pastor called Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 to 19. These are instructions given to the pastor to share and teach the rich members of his church. If you can earn monthly income and support your family, you are rich. Whether you think you are rich or not, believe me, if you can earn a monthly salary, you are rich. This instruction is for you too. It starts at verse 17. Command those who are rich in this world not to be arrogant, nor trust in the uncertain riches, but trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give and willing to share, storing up for themselves good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold of eternal life. <laughs> wow. So Paul starts by telling Timothy to command those who are rich. So what he's about to say is vital. It's not just a mere suggestion or request. It is a command. It says, command those who are rich in this world not to be arrogant, nor trust in uncertain riches, but to trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Paul does not want us to trust in uncertain riches. He wants us to trust in God who loves us. Paul is indirectly warning us that riches have a way of shifting our trust. When we don't have much, we tend to rely on our Heavenly Father for provision. But when we have much, the much can become a magnet for our trust. Moving our trust from God to the much. You see, you tend to be selfishly guarding your much because you put trust in your much. Paul is warning us against this. It is not wrong to have much, but be careful not to transfer your trust from God to the much. Trust in the living God who richly gives us all things to enjoy. It is fascinating that Paul says God richly gives us all things to enjoy, meaning enjoying what God has given you is perfectly okay. I sometimes look at someone driving a very expensive car and think, I would rather do this or that if I had that type of money. You see, when I think like that, I'm missing the point. That person is enjoying that which his heavenly father has richly blessed him with. And Paul says, it's okay. As long as they do good, that they are rich in good works, ready to give and willing to share. As long as the rich people are generous, 
with what God has given them. Ready to do good with what God has given them. Ready to give that which God has given them. Willing to share what God has richly given them to enjoy. Then they are doing good. Again, God is not expecting you to spend all that he has blessed you with on yourself alone. God is looking to us to leverage what we have for his kingdom, his church, and his people. He's looking to us to be rich in good works too. This is God's heart. And here is that uncomfortable promise again. If we do good with, God has in, with what God has entrusted us with, we are storing up for ourselves a good foundation for the time to come that we may lay hold on real and eternal life. You see, what we do on earth, whether good or bad, has eternal consequences. The other thing we see in these scriptures about generosity is that generosity requires us to act, to do. We can't just pray for the gift of generosity without being willing not to harden our hearts, not to clinch our wallets tightly. Generosity is love in action. It needs us to act. So, what have we learned today? Firstly, we learned generosity honors God. Proverbs 14 verse 31 says, Those who oppress the poor insult their maker. Those who oppress the poor insult their maker. Helping the poor honors him. We also learned generosity makes one prosper. Proverbs 11 verse 25 reads, A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. We also learned generosity draws me closer to God. Generosity makes me Christ-like. Generosity is a cure for materialism. I trust by now we've all have a better understanding of some of the ingredients and the recipes God uses to make us Christ followers who are built to last. Let's pray. Father, we thank you very much for the opportunity that you give us the opportunity to partner with you with whatever we have. To partner with you, not only to look after our families, but to also to look after those you've put around us. This is your heart, Lord, and I pray that you can give us the courage to be obedient. The courage not to fear that if we give, we will somehow have lack. But to rest in the assurance that those who give will be replenished. I pray that what we own materialistically in this world does not hold us bondage and what we own does not take away our trust from you. Let us remember that what you've blessed us with it's supposed to be used to bless others. Yes, we must enjoy what you've blessed us with and we must be grateful daily for what you've blessed us with. At the same time, we must use it bless the church, to bless those around us who are less fortunate. 
If we all do this, I believe the world will be a better place just as you have intended it to be. We thank you for everything that you do for us. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you, church. Thank you, Mr. John, for allowing God to speak through you as you preach this word. You have left us filled up in our spirits. After all, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word. Thank you so much, church, for joining us. Tune in again next week for the next Sunday service. Have a lovely Sunday and have a blessed week ahead.